0: Well, thank you to the celebration band. We are grateful for your music tonight. We'll have to have them again, Paul. Hope so. Soon. Yeah. Be fun to do, a whole, Would you like that? <clears throat> I want to invite you to open your Bible this evening to the book of the Revelation. Thank you. We are looking at chapters 15 and 16 this evening, where we pick up pace once again. In the past, we have, uh, in the past few weeks, we have been looking at some chapters that did not advance the chronology of the book. But this evening, we come back to the chronology having filled in some of the details of the book in chapters 12 through 14. And now we are ready to, to see some things happen in heaven that will affect what happens on earth. In fact, you notice the outline. Did you all get a copy of the outline as you came in? Preparation of the bowls, the bowls of wrath in heaven, in chapter 15, and then the pouring out of the bowls on the earth. In chapter 16. Now to um, put this into a context so that you will be able to kind of catch up with us. If you've not been here for our study, give me a second to uh, get us in focus. Here's where we started in the book with the messages to the seven churches in chapters 1, 2, and 3. In chapter 4 and 5 those songs that we saw in heaven the worship of god the unfolding of the seals that were on that scroll we've looked at those which were followed by the trumpets and now we are at this point chapter 15 we're going to begin looking at the bowls of wrath you notice that these are sequential at least as we understand the book of revelation There are some who see them as overlapping and kind of repetitive, but if you compare what each of the seven judgments in these series contains, uh, it seems to me better to understand them as sequential. And so the three and a half year point or the halfway point in the tribulation period is somewhere about there. As we come now to the bowls of God's wrath that are poured out upon the earth, we are definitely in the last part of the period, the seven-year period of the tribulation. And soon will come the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me blow this up just a little bigger so that you can see we're here in chapter 15 and verse 5, as it says, and the seven bowls. <clears throat> Chapters 15 and 16 deal with these matters of the, the seven bowls bowls being poured out upon the earth. Chapters 17 and 18 deal with the harlot and the beast and the fall of Babylon. And those two chapters sort of fill in details of what takes place here. Chapter 19 is the great event in the book of the Revelation in the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the book plays out with eternity beginning again. So we've got some great things in store for us as we continue our study in the book of the Revelation. Chapter 15 talks about the preparation of these bowls, as they're called, or some translations put it, the vials of judgment. In chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, we have a picture again of the sea of glass that is before the throne of God. We saw this earlier in the book, in chapters 4 and 5. John says, I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues. For in them the wrath of God is complete. Notice we're coming to the end and God's wrath is going to be fully poured out now. And he says, I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire. Now here is an addition to what we saw earlier in the book. This vast plain called a sea, as it were, of glass in which is set the throne of God now is mingled with fire. There seems to be fire that is flashing through this glass. That seems to signify the fact that God is on his throne and is about to pour out his judgment. This is a holy sea before him. And it says, those who have victory over the beast, over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name, were standing on the sea of glass having harps of God. And so here in John's primary focus are people who have been delivered out of the tribulation period. They are martyrs for the most part, but they have had victory over the beast, the Antichrist, and over the image of the beast and the mark that, as we saw, was forced upon, I shouldn't say forced upon, was given to those who are the followers of the beast. They had no part of that. And they're standing on this sea having harps of God. And there's a song that is being sung. It is called the Song of Moses, the Servant of God, and the Song of the Lamb. I don't know who arranged the uh, songs that we heard here tonight by the celebration band, But there is a heavenly arranger who's going to put together a couple of songs. Uh, The song of Moses and the song of the Lamb will be brought together. Here we have the law of Moses, the grace and truth in Jesus Christ. They are not opposites. They are not contradictory. They come together. And there is a song, and the words are these. And you will recognize One of the fine, uh, more contemporary anthems for choirs out of of, uh, these words. Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the Saints, or King of the Ages. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you, and your judgments have been manifested. A marvellous song of praise to God given to him on this sea of glass before his throne. And then it says, After these things I looked and behold a temple that could read the sanctuary of the tabernacle or the the inner shrine literally is what it says, the inner shrine of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was open. You say, what in the world is that? Well, you remember that Moses was given a pattern from which to build the tabernacle in the wilderness. That tabernacle was a copy of the true tabernacle, which is in heaven. And so that is what is spoken of here. And you remember in that tabernacle that Moses and the people constructed, there was an inner sanctuary called the Holy of Holies. And so what John sees here now is the original temple or sanctuary in heaven is opened up. And out of that temple, out of that inner shrine, out of the very presence of God in the Holy of Holies, came seven angels having the seven plagues. He sees them clothed in pure white linen and having their chests girded with golden bands and one of the four living creatures, remember these are those unique cherubim-like creatures that encircle the throne of God and declare his holiness and praise. We, we were introduced to them earlier in the book. One of these four living creatures came to the seven angels And the seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple, I should say, he gave to the seven angels the seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. So apparently the inference is that there is some access to this heavenly temple normally for the people of God. But now as the end times are here and God's plagues are about to be poured out, access is barred. And the smoke of God's judgment fills this place in heaven. And the seven angels are given these bowls, as John sees them, that are filled with God's judgment for the world. And then in chapter 16, we have the pouring out of these bowls upon the earth. The first vial, or the first bowl, involves boils. I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. So the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. Notice that the Judgments here are poured out upon those who are the worshipers of the beast. Someone has called this God's germ warfare. God pours out upon the earth dwellers, as they are called in this book, that is, those who dwell on the earth and whose whole lives focus on the earth and who follow the beast. He pours out upon them some sort of a sore, a a boil, a cancer we might call it. Uh, Some understand these adjectives, foul and loathsome or bad and evil as meaning malignant, possibly the case. This is somewhat similar to the sixth Egyptian plague back in the book of Exodus where there were also boils that were poured out upon uh, the earth and upon Egypt in that case. It is sores that affect those with the mark of the Antichrist. We come then to the second vial, or bowl, of blood. It says in verse 3, The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became blood as of a dead man. And every living creature in the sea died. And so the the salt water stores of the earth are made uninhabitable for the creatures that now live in them. Does the sea literally turn to blood like the blood that comes out of your, your veins when you cut yourself? It's possible it does. I don't think the language here demands that interpretation. It is whatever the chemical change is in the water, it turns it uh, so that it's dead and so that it's red. That is the main point here. And uh, the sea, which is now the great life giver, we are told even human life would be impossible were it not for the sea. The sea which now absorbs the filth of man and uh, which yet gives man food for life, this sea will in that day be fit only for death. And the carcasses of all of these dead sea creatures will float to the surface as every sea creature dies. Now, can you imagine the stench? I think we could say this is going to be the mother of all stenches. When the second bowl is poured out upon the earth and every fish dies. It's bad enough to be around the lake when the smelt are running. Or when there are other causes of dead fish in massive quantities. But listen, I'm serious, can you imagine what the, the uh, coastal areas of the world will be like in this day. And so we come now to the third of these vials or bulls. The rivers also are turned to blood. The third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water. This is fresh water. And they became blood. And so the same thing that happened in the sea will now happen in the rivers. The rivers and springs of the earth will pour forth blood. Already a third of the waters, fresh waters, have been made bitter by wormwood, according to the trumpet of chapter 8, verses 10 and 11, the third trumpet. This will cause the water to be, I think we can say, nearly undrinkable. The angel of the waters, which seems to be a description of this angel that pours out the bowl on the waters, says, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to come, because you have judged these things. They, he's talking now about these followers of the beast, they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is their just due. And so you see now why God pours out these curses upon the water supply of the earth. There is unprecedented martyrdom during this period of the tribulation. And now God gives the earth blood to drink because it has shed the blood of his people. And from underneath the altar, and earlier in the book we saw that underneath the altar the souls of those who have been martyred in at least part of the tribulation. And there is this, this voice that comes out that says, "'Even so, Lord God Almighty, "'true and righteous are your judgments.'" And so there is this amen, shall we say, from some of the martyrs in heaven who are saying yes. This angel is speaking the truth. God is true and righteous. Now, friend, there is not truth and righteousness in our world today. There are lies and there's wickedness. There is deception and there is evil. That characterizes man. But it does not characterize God. He is holy. And when he brings judgment to the earth, it will be in truth, and it will be a righteous judgment. God will give man what he richly deserves. We come then to the fourth of the bowls verses eight and nine. <clears throat> It is an oppressive heat. This fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun. And power was given to him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat. And they blasphemed the name of God who has the power over all these plagues. And they did not repent and give him glory. And so in this fourth bowl it is given to the sun to scorch men. God just turns up the thermostat on the earth. Now this is interesting because back in chapter eight under the fourth trumpet, the solar power is reduced by a third. But now God turns up the thermometer or the thermostat so that men are scorched with the heat. Perhaps God at this point in some way removes a layer of the atmosphere. Maybe he just taps the earth a little bit closer to the sun Whatever he does, it causes tremendous uh, suffering in the world because of the heat that is produced. And remember, there is only blood to drink. All of the water supply of the earth has been tainted by the curse of God. All of this corresponds with what Jesus himself said when in, in Luke twenty-one twenty-five, he said, "'There shall be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars Upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. And what is the result of the judgment of God? Is it that many turn to God? No, it is not. The result is blasphemy and a hardening of the heart of man. Who does that remind you of? Pharaoh in the Old Testament. God poured out the plague, saying, let my people go, and he hardened his heart against God. And he simply represented all of mankind in doing that. Then we have the fifth of the bowls, verses 10 and 11. The fifth angel poured out his bowl, and the throne of the beast and his kingdom became full of darkness. And they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. And they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and did not repent of their deeds. And so now the earth is plunged into some sort of supernatural darkness. It is mysterious what is taking place. The throne of the beast probably refers to Babylon, and we will discuss that when we get to chapters 17 and 18 in a few weeks. That is headquarters for him. And that seems to be where the darkness begins and then it seems to spread throughout the earth. There is a mystery about it. It is eerie. Heat is increased, but light is decreased. And again, there are prophecies in both the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament that align with the very things that John sees happening here. And the result of all of this is great pain, These things happen in quick succession. It's not scattered over many years. But just one after another, these pains and plagues are poured upon man. But again, there is no repentance. Then in verse 12, we have the sixth of the bulls. It is a march that is directed against the people of Israel by an army. We saw this army numbered and gathered under the sixth Trumpet. And now something happens making it possible for this army to march to the west. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. Uh, We don't know whether this (laughs) involves more than a drought. We can understand the drought, can't we, because of what we've seen happening? There may be something historical or political involved here as well as uh, geographical, atmospherical, that allows this massive army from the east to march toward the west and toward the land of Israel. It may be that there is some sort of conflict and vision between this great army from the east. And the massive armies of Antichrist, which are basically Western, European, and beyond. And these two large power blocks now are fighting over the Mideast. Perhaps the oil is part of that. But they are coming toward Palestine. They are coming toward Israel. And the way is prepared as the sixth bull is poured out upon the earth. Now that brings us to something of uh, a parenthesis in verses 13 through 16. This sort of follows a pattern in the book. You remember that there before, between number six and number seven in these series, there's been a break. And so now there's another break in the forward push of the chronology. And some information is given to us regarding this battle it says, I saw three great, three unclean spirits, like frogs, coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are the spirits of demons, performing signs, and they go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And they gathered them together to the place called, in Hebrew, Armageddon. Now, we are given two bits of information here. One regards Armageddon, the other the return of Christ. The word Armageddon is found only here in the Bible. Literally, it means the Mount of Megiddo. You probably know that there is a mount that uh, is called that and has been for thousands of years in a plain area of Israel. It is in the plain of Esdralon. Many of the Old Testament battles were fought there and even modern battles. The Valley of Megiddon is mentioned in Zechariah 12 and verse 11. That is related here to this name Armageddon. You can hear something of the same sound in it. There are demons that are involved in the gathering of the world's armies to this place. These are called frog-like demons. Sice, in his commentary, says they are the elect agents to awaken the world to the attempt to abolish God from the earth. They are frog-like in that they come forth out of the pestiferous quagmires. Don't you like that phrase? I think the next time my kids act up I'm gonna say, you pestiferous quagmire. They come forth out of the pestiferous quagmires of the universe to do their work amid the world's evening shadows and creep and croak and fill the ears of the nations with their noisy demonstrations, till they set all the kings and armies of the whole earth in enthusiastic commotion for the final crushing, crushing out of the lamb and all his powers. These spirits of hell go forth upon the kings and potentates of the world to make up and gather together the grand army of the devil's worshipers. Well, you can tell that he wrote for the day in which he lived. But uh, his language, though flowery, is certainly descriptive of the work of these frog-like demons. They are said to come forth out of the mouth of the dragon and the beast and the false prophet. There you have hell's trinity. The dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. Because these demons are seen coming out of their mouths, it may be that it is their words, their deceiving, lying words, which will be the force used by these spirits to bring the armies together for this great battle. Do not doubt at all that he is speaking here of literal spiritual beings who will be used in this attempt. And it certainly does not say this at this point, but I think that in comparing scripture with scripture, we can say that events in the world do not just automatically happen. What we see taking place in Russia is a struggle beyond Yeltsin and the democratic forces and that People's Congress which is a a leftover from the communistic regime these two blocks of power in Russia represent spiritual forces that are battling it out for the future of that nation in the invisible realm and the heavenly realms. That happens all over the world we see history on one level but behind that There are spiritual forces, believe me, there is not a separation as our world view tells us between the spiritual realm and the physical realm. They overlap, they come together. And behind those political movements and uh, and military movements in our world today, there are spiritual forces that are orchestrating and battling and maneuvering, seeking to advance the cause of uh, the prince of darkness, Satan. And we see that here, as these particular frog-like spirits are sent out to gather the armies of the earth for this battle uh, in a place that is called Armageddon. Commentators point out rightly that we should not look upon the battle of Armageddon as a single battle. It really is a series of campaigns And it may last for some period of months or even years in the last half of this tribulation period. It is a world war, really. It is a massive outbreak of war that will take place. But it will climax in this final battle in the Valley of Megiddo, at Armageddon, the Mount of Megiddo. And we will see more about that as we get to chapter 19. And we see that as these armies come together in Israel to do battle with one another, their attention is diverted to another army that shows up they hadn't expected. Now, it seems almost an intrusion, an interruption, but John says that there is a word from Jesus in the midst of all of this. Behold, I am coming as a thief. That is, Jesus comes unexpectedly upon the world. He is not saying that he comes as a thief to his people. We are now to be alert and watchful for the return of our Lord, his return for his people, for the church, the rapture of the church. There is nothing yet to be fulfilled before he comes. It's been true for the last 2,000 years. It is still true tonight that the coming of Christ is imminent. It could happen at any moment. And in his return to the earth, likewise, his people in that day, as the tribulation comes to an end, will be looking and longing for the coming of the Lord Jesus. He will not come as a thief to his people. His people will be looking and expecting him, but to the world, he will come as a thief. And so he says, blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments. That's the anticipation, that's the expectation. The warning is, though, lest he walk naked and they see his shame, a rather strange kind of warning. Uh, At least one commentator says that uh, it may be an allusion to uh, what was done in the temple in that day. During the night, there were priests who were assigned guard duty in various parts of the temple area. And there would be an officer who would walk around to make sure that they were awake. And if he found one asleep, they were stripped of their clothing and beaten. And so it may be that that is the illusion here. We do not want to be asleep when Jesus comes. And I'm telling you, the devil is just popping the sleeping pills into God's people like crazy today. Especially in the Western world. So many of God's people are drowsy to to the age in which we live. Maybe you're like me. You read the newspaper and you hear about these things happening in the world. And you sit there and you say, am I dreaming? (laughs) Is all of this really happening? And it is. And it's just laying the groundwork for what God's Word says is going to come to pass in the last days. We don't see it all in place yet. I'm not suggesting that. But, uh, I mean, there were those who were quite alarmed when Russia was overtaken by democracy. Said, wow, this is going to make us rethink all of our prophecy regarding movements there in Europe and so on. Well, it may be good for us to rethink some of that. We don't have a corner in all truth yet. But the last chapter has not been written in Russia. And another chapter may be written this week, which will yet further... The scene for the coming of a powerful man who is going to be able to bring peace. My daughter's not in here, so I'll tell a story on her. She, As we were driving to the church tonight, she, I had on a Christian station. Of course, I always listen to Christian music, you know. Because I'm a preacher, right? And if you believe that, I would no, no. She wanted to listen to something else. She she hit the little seek button there, so it went up to a station that she sometimes listened to. And Michael Jackson was singing, blessed boy. (laughs) And Michael was talking about healing the world and beating our swords into plowshares. I'll tell you something, he's not alone in that wish, I mean, all of us would wish for peace. But there's a cry for peace that is beginning to rise in our world. And at the same time, the world is beginning to crumble and to fall apart, and especially in Europe, which is the headquarters for Antichrist. And as the cry for peace gets greater and war becomes more of a reality in Europe, Eventually, we're going to see that cry, that prayer for peace, satisfied in the rising of some strong person who will have the answers for Europe. Now, whether you and I will see that or not, I don't know. But uh, when that takes place, believe me, Antichrist is not far away. The whole thing is just setting the scene for what God in his word has told us is going to come to pass we must not be asleep we need to recognize the day in which we're living then we come to the seventh vial the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying it is done what does that remind you of? the cross, right? Where Jesus said, it is finished. There, redemption was finished. Here, judgment is finished. Now we've got some more detail to fill in, so don't think that uh, we're not going to talk anymore about judgment. But the seventh vial, or the seventh bowl, looks ahead to the end of judgment. It's finished. And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings and a great earthquake. Such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. Now, there are those who believe that this earthquake is a geopolitical earthquake and not a, a literal earthquake, a physical earthquake. It seems to me, however, better to think of it as a literal earthquake. It says the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. Some see the great city here as Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Others see the great city as Babylon. I lean toward the latter view. It says, And great Babylon was remembered before God to give, up, to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Chapter 17 and 18, again, is going to tell us more about how Babylon is judged. The details are given there. But The great cities of the world are now reduced to rubble. Now you imagine this. Just try to think, not just of Los Angeles being hit by an earthquake, not just San Francisco, but you go around the, the whole Pacific Rim, and that ring of fire, you go to Europe, you go to the east coast of the United States, to all of the cities of the world, an earthquake like has never struck the earth before, and the massive destruction and death, well, that will take place as skyscrapers crumble and fall into heaps of dust and rubble. So severe is this earthquake that it says that every island fled away. Friend, don't be in Hawaii on this day. The islands of the seas will disappear. They will go down below the waters. And the mountains that reach up into the sky are going to crumble themselves. Then it says great hail from heaven fell upon men. Every hailstone about the weight of a talent, that is 75 pounds. Imagine a chunk of ice weighing 75 pounds, and then imagine this world-wide storm system that begins to throw upon the earth this kind of hail. And men fall on their knees and they cry out, Oh God, forgive us of our sins. We could wish. Look at it. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, since that plague was exceedingly great. There has never been greater devastation in nature than will be seen with this seventh bowl. Literally the whole world begins to collapse. Today, it's almost as though the spring is being wound, tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter. And on this day, the whole thing just goes as God's judgment is poured out. Well, we don't have a very nice description of future events to think about as we go home. We can't go home very happy about the nature of man's unrepentant heart, his wickedness, his determination to blaspheme God. But I'll tell you what we can go home happy about. We can go home happy about the fact that in the end, God is going to be vindicated. The righteousness of God is going to be vindicated. Only God's people can see and understand that. But the God who today is rejected and blasphemed by the world, the God who is ignored, the God who against whom hostility is directed in this day, is going to have the last word. And the people of God can rejoice that He will be honored. He will be praised. He will be exalted. The one who is righteous, who is and who was and who is to be, the one who will judge these things, the one whose works are great and marvelous, the Lord God Almighty, the one who is just and true in all of his ways, the one before whom eventually all nations will come and worship. I'd like for us to take our hymnals and sing before we go. After a study like this, you need something to kind of lighten you up just a bit. And so let's sing a verse or so of 229. that says, Our God reigns. Today, we look around and and, uh, there's defeat on political issues. And you see uh, the people of God persecuted and blasphemed and attacked. And we think, where is God? I'll tell you where he is. He's on his throne. And we can sing about it. Let's do as we stand. 229.
1: How lovely on the mountains are the feet of Israel.
0: false prophet in Waco, Texas has been preaching to the FBI about the trumpets and the various parts of the book of Revelation. They're fed up to hear with it. So am I. He doesn't know what he's talking about because he sees himself as Jesus Christ. And our world laughs at the kinds of things that we read in this book. And if some of those people were here tonight, they would look at you and me and they'd say, you better move to Waco. They don't understand I think that people like this are raised up to bring discredit to the truth of the Word of God into the book of Revelation. Let me tell you what this book says is going to come to pass. It doesn't please man, but it is going to come to pass. Let's sing that third verse about Jesus' resurrection, Out from the Tomb.
1: Out from the tomb He came with grace grace. And-
0: Let's pray together. Father, we give glory and praise to you, the one who is true and righteous in all your judgments. And as terrifying and fearful as these events are in their description, we nonetheless rejoice in them because they vindicate you as the God who is who was, who is to come, and the God who reigns. Father, we live in a day which is becoming increasingly dark, but even a little light shines brightly when it's real dark. May we be that point of light, that reflector of Jesus in the darkness of this world. Lord, keep us faithful. Carry us on in your strength, that we may be your servants in the darkness of this age. And this week, as we face whatever is before us, remind us that you reign, that you're on the throne, and that we need not fear. Amen. Good night.